Lord, there's much that makes us distracted and anxious. Would you calm our hearts to be present for your word? May the grace of your Holy Spirit be at work among us. Open our ears that we may hear and ready our minds that we may understand. And so mold us into the image of your Son, in whose name we're bold to pray. Amen. Psalm 1 stands at the gateway of the sanctuary to worship of God. It begins the, the songbook of Israel, the songbook of the people of God, as they enter into what it means to trust and follow the God who redeems. Speaks much of spiritual principles. And I want to ask, how spiritual do you feel this evening, sitting here? Um, I remember the late Brennan Manning came to uh, New Orleans, where he's from, um, it, but he spoke at a ministry that I was working with called Desire Street Ministries there. And so he's speaking to mostly middle school inner city boys. And he's telling, and I was so excited, like Brandon Manning, one of my spiritual heroes in the faith. And he's talking about, you know, going off and spending a year living in a cave in Spain and just talking about meditating and praying and having these, um, just this communion with God in these solitary, like, hermit-like places. (laughs) The disconnect couldn't have been more palpable, you know, with these middle school boys. And, of course, for myself. (laughs) If that's what spirituality is, gosh, who's going to, you know, mount that Everest? Who's going to climb that? Uh, Is our calling to be a monk or something? And... But the truth is, all of us are spiritual. We are made in God's image. We are made to connect to and know a bigger story. And this psalm, it in so many ways, helps to draw us into the understanding of what spiritual communion with God is about. And he delineates between, you'll see, we see a couple themes here in Psalm 1. There's the way of life, the path of life that which brings flourishing, and then there's the way of destruction or death, the way of the wicked. It could be easy to read this and think this is just about outward behaviors or about being good or naughty. Um, And certainly there are aspects of of that in here. This was written in a time in the ancient Near East where this is what the moral calculus of the world was about. You do well, uh, you do well to um, follow the good path, and you will prosper. But if you don't, there's destruction. It served as a kind of warning. That kind of thinking is still in place today, is it not? If you work hard... If you're nice to others and if you try real hard, then uh, you'll be rewarded with the good life. That's the American gospel, is it not? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's available to us all. But I think that someone like Job would probably object to this idea. In fact, Jesus, I think, denies it because he says, The sun rises on the just and the unjust. It rains on both the righteous and the unrighteous. Uh, there's certainly not this sense of moral calculus that we can somehow 
um, anticipate or predict that if we do A, B must follow. So this is beyond virtue. And when it's speaking of the righteous on the one hand and the wicked on the other, um, you know, if, 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 we, if, ever, if somebody could see our hearts today and go and judge and determine, am I righteous or am I wicked? Um, that would be a scary proposition, I think. But when the Bible uses terms like that, righteousness and wickedness, when it refers to the identity of a person, um, it's going beyond actions and outward form. It is talking about the righteous are those who trust in God, those who trust His ways, who, who seek to take heed of the counsel of wisdom. The wicked are those who would ignore or deny God's authority in their life, that God has anything to say about the way by which they should proceed. So there's the way that leads to life and the way that leads to death. And this is a reminder to us who are pilgrims, spiritual pilgrims, who, to order our lives not around our own desires and our own inclinations, but rather around God's set word and His principles that those who trust Him, things will in general and ultimately go well. And those who do not take heed to God's Word, things may go well for a time, but ultimately their plans will crumble because they will have no hope of escaping judgment. So there's two options, door A and door B, right? Um, Trust God, live in harmony with God's way, or trust yourself. Trust man's way, reject God. One points to abundant living. Jesus says... (laughs) I am the way and the truth and the life. Um, you know, he promises abundant life. I've come that they might have life and live it to the full, have it abundantly. The self-serving way it leads to a bad end. And so life and death are characterized by these two images found in the middle of this psalm, verse 3. The righteous, those who don't take counsel with the wicked and are sit in the assembly of the mockers, they, they do, uh, they're like trees that are planted. Trees are vibrant and life-giving, signs of abundance and fruitfulness. They're rooted and secure. On the other hand, in verse 4, not so the wicked, they're like chaff. It's a word you probably used a lot this week, chaff. <laughs> chaff, chaff is, it's very light and it's not useful for anything, and it blows away. And actually, the idea of, of chaff, chaff, chaff is the way of death, the way of wickedness. Um, chaff, chaff is when they would reap the harvest um, in this area of the world. It's rather hilly and arid. That they would, they would get the wheat or whatever harvest, crop they're harvesting, and the kernels that are good for consumption as they would kind of rub them and bang them against things, those hard kernels were weighty, and they would fall to the ground. They would catch them in order to take them to use for consumption, to put them to use. But the chaff was the remaining part. It, it was, it was, it's light and airy, and it would just simply, as the wind came over the hills, it would just blow the chaff away. It's useless. It's not good for anything. The kernels, they're good for something. So the chaff, that's that idea of weightlessness. Um, a way, the way that goes against when we don't take heed of God's word, of God's desire for us to flourish under his rule, um, we're like that chaff. We are light 
We don't have any weight to us. We're losing substance. But life, on the other hand, this metaphor of the tree I love. Um, in a semi-arid climate, a tree has to be near a source of water or else it'll quickly wither and die when there's not much rain. And a tree, it needs constant moisture, does it not, to sustain its green leaves, to produce its fruit, to be strong and sturdy, to have its roots that go down deep into the soil. It's planted. It's there. And it seeks to bless things that are around it. It's good for shade. It provides food for animals. It's a picture of somebody that's trusting God rightly. They're, they're blessing. They're fulfilling what God's promise and call to Abram was. Abraham was to, um, his seed was going to spread across the earth and be a blessing to the nations. We're, we're supposed to be a blessing. Now, during the time the psalm book was put together um, and being collected, Israel was not necessarily experiencing abundance in life because they had been exiled to Babylon for not trusting God, for trusting in their own way. And the Babylonians came in and wiped them out. They destroyed the temple, the sign of God's very presence in their midst, and they had to go off to Babylon. In Babylon, there's only one solitary river. So what the Babylonians had done is they dug a bunch of irrigation canals and trenches And so along those, they would be able to plant things. So there were trees that were planted along those. So you can imagine an ancient Israelite praying or singing Psalm 1, their songbook, and singing, they who are righteous are like trees planted by streams of water. Though they didn't have the sign of God's presence with them, the temple lay in ruins, somehow they were able to sing this in a foreign land in captivity away from all the comforts and securities of what they knew. So they trusted that God was with them. They, they feasted and immersed themselves in His law. Look at verse 2. Their delight is in the law of the Lord, the Torah. That's the story. It's more than just the list of, of regulations in uh, Leviticus. It, it, it is the grand picture of God's desire for His people to flourish under His rule and care. Um, God delights when we trust in Him and seek to follow His ways um, because that's how we're made. That's how the puzzle fits together just right because that's how we're made. And so when, when, when we med- spend time in meditation, when we spend time looking at and immersing ourselves in God's story, we are like those trees that are sturdy and fruitful, bearing leaves in season. We prosper, in a sense. And so, I wonder what it would be like for us to follow uh, the Israelites in their practice of immersing themselves in God's Word, immersing themselves in a bigger story, one that transcends their circumstances. I don't know about you, but even this week, I mean, I was getting kicked in the pants by life in a lot of ways. And I was getting ready to preach this passage, and I was, I was not resonating with what's being talked about here. And I realized I need a bigger story. I live in a small story where I get the blinders on, and I'm focused on getting the things done that I want to get done, and I have my best laid plans, and they're supposed to go a certain way. And my relationships that I invest in, I want them to produce the results that I want them to produce. And when things don't go that way, where do you turn? When things fall flat, 
when your job is hard, when you get bypassed for the promotion, when you're the one that's done all the work on the project. I think Psalm 1 helps to root us in a place where we are adhering to a grander story, a much more beautiful story than the one that we're seeking to write. It's the power of story. And so there's two stories, ultimately. There's the story of God's magnificent creation of a good creation and people made in his image, but who have rebelled and wandered, who have grown um, numb to their need and desire to have fellowship with him. And they've walked away and they've rebelled. And he has pursued them to the utmost and loved them and sent his son to die as a atonement for their sin, to buy them back so that they might be his forever with the ultimate goal of them living in full communion with God in the new heavens and the new earth. That's a beautiful, wonderful story, one that we can't, uh, we can't forget the magic and wonder of, which is part of why we gather each week, isn't it? So that we can together corporately Be reminded and remember what our common story is, the thing that unites us all, the thing that's touching on all of our needs, felt or not. Depending on the week you had, maybe it doesn't strike you, but when you get into a habit of regularly immersing yourself in this bigger story, it starts to shape you. It takes on a transformative power. That's why the psalmist says their delight is in the law of the Lord, and they meditate on it day and night. Because they become rooted, they become fixed, secure, hopeful, blessing things around them. The other choice is to follow uh, the advice of someone like Machiavelli. He wrote The Prince, and he basically outlines how somebody could come to power and maintain it. And what he talks about is basically what this world offers it is um, the, the, the will to power of Nietzsche. It's, the, um, it's up to us to exert our power, to um, use our reputation to influence and manipulate outcomes. Um, and it's based on merit. It's a meritocracy. What you bring to the table is what you'll get back in reward. That's, that's the way of the world. That's the other story that we can find ourselves living in. It's not one based on grace. It's not one based on God's coming to us. It's based on us white-knuckling and grappling for the best life that we can get here and now. That's not wisdom. It's according to Psalm 1. Our world is one shaped by conquest and conquerors. It's about the powerful triumphing over the weak. It's using the force of arms or violence or whatever manipulation they can. It's, it's Darwinism, whether it's in the marketplace or in society. It's survival of the fittest, ultimately. The other story we can live under, though, the story of Torah, the story of, of a God who loves a people so much that he would give his very own son for them. It's a story of a king whose coronation didn't come through power, but it came through suffering and death. It's a story of, of him coming and forgiving those who would condemn him to death, those who would spit upon him and mock him and torture him. It's about a prince of peace whose throne is a cross, whose coronation crown was made of thorns, that his crucifixion became a great triumph in his resurrection. 
that's the story that we live under. That's the story that we need. We need that kind of interruption to uh, reorient ourselves, to root ourselves, um, so that we're not pulled away by this false story that it's up to me, that it's up to you, that it's up to our willpower. Um, Because it's not. Everything we have is grace. It's all God's grace. And we all have a story. What story are you going to seek to live under? What bigger narrative are you going to live under? Are you going to live under survival of the fittest? White knuckle it? Are you going to live under surrendering to the king who stooped to conquer, who came through weakness, who poured himself out to buy us for himself? You know, trusting an invisible God is so hard. And it's foolishness, isn't it, to the world? But when you turn to him and trust him in thanksgiving and yearning and hoping and praise and desperation, he sees and knows your longings and fears. The hairs on your head are numbered. He is intimately acquainted with you beyond any relationship that you have in your life. Um, Immerse yourself in this Psalm 1 spirituality. And see what he does. Trust this God whose means will make you more secure than your best laid plans. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.